Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome to the home of Motivation with a Purpose right here on TalkZone.com. Every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, I am Rich Hallstrom and my co-host once again is Ezekiel Bambolo, known as Zeke to his very close friends. And today we turn the tables on my favorite co-host as we talk about the firstborn son concept on today's edition of Motivation with a Purpose, where we inspire you to live and work with purpose every week. Hey, Zeke, how are you? Man, I can't believe you're going to do that to me. You are turning the, just turning the focus on the table on me. That's just not nice. But you know what? Because I'm in your hands and in your grace and in God's grace, I am having a phenomenal day. It's a great day. Well, I promise it won't hurt. I, it, won't be pain, won't, it won't be painful, huh? Or at least it won't hurt that much. Uh, I'll make I'll make sure it's better than a root canal. How about that? I am always excited to share this message, my friend. Always excited, and it's a blessing to have this opportunity. And I'm looking forward to a wonderful time with you and our audience, indeed. Well, before we get started, let's remind everybody how they can find us on uh, TalkZone.com every week. Go to the TalkZone. Uh, talk channel and look up Motivation with a Purpose Radio, MWP Radio, and our page is right there. All of the buttons to get in contact with us, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those things. And you can also listen to all of our podcasted past episodes. It's a great place to land and uh, download the latest episode of Motivation with a Purpose and send it out to your friends. You can do all kinds of things. I know Zeke this morning uh, you were sending out a couple of uh, tweets and Facebook messages to remind everybody to listen in this morning. Man, this morning. I had to. What a blessing, you know. And I pray most of all that we uh, we give people some incredible information today to take away, that uh, as we desire to do every single day with the guests that we bring on this show, I pray we will uh, even surpass uh, what we've done in the past and by God's grace that we will give some really incredible information out to today. Excellent. One more reminder, if you want to find us on Facebook, uh, look for Motivation with a Purpose Radio at MWP Radio AM or on Twitter at MWP Radio Man. Uh, Zeke, I know that you have had a lot of varied experiences. You grew up in Liberia, West Africa, and you are what is called a firstborn son. Tell me about that concept and why it is so important and why we should be worried about it and concerned about it these days. Man, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, to answer that question adequately, I will pray that you grace me with a few extra seconds here to break this down. Um, and you've touched on a few things in terms of my origin and so forth, which we'll go into more in a later detail. But here's my thought of where we are. We've been seeing on TV and you name it, you got, you have doomsday preppers. Uh, you are watching, uh, if you watch public TV and you see Congress argue back and forth about what's going on in our, in our nation these, uh, days. And so our nation, again, give me a few seconds here, but our nations, uh, are either at a place at the cusp of a great ruin and destruction, or we are at a place of remarkable opportunity 
for a great revival. We call it rebirth, restoration, or resurrection. You see, when I look back in my faith, especially when Jesus Christ went to the cross, all of his followers believed they had come to, a, to their end. You know, they, you know, they felt defeated. And, but the story of his resurrection and, uh, you know, brings this incredible power and new life to their feeble and defeated souls. And so, but most of all, his resurrection brought them face to face to a great selfless vision for life that really empowered them to uh, sacrificially endure persecution, even to the point of death for many. So understanding where we are in the era rests on the perspective, especially our perspective of God. So I choose to believe that our nations are at a place that is not necessarily at a great ruin and destruction, but rather a juncture of great resurgence and that restoration, that resurrection. So the Lord has placed a call on me, on me for such a time as this, with the firstborn son, to build what I believe is an army of sacrificial, selfless, and visionary leaders uh, for our families. Leaders who understand that the scope of range of, you know, the literal or symbolic role of this firstborn son concept, which we'll discuss here in a little bit, uh, for their families, as well as those the Lord brings to, you know, to mentor and help people to foster kids and everything else in our, in, that we have in our society. So that scope and range includes national patriotism. It, there's a covenant relationship between God and the firstborn son that I'll hopefully get the point to discuss a little bit. There's, there's leadership qualities. You know, there's restoration abilities, there's powers for, you know, especially the most important is the power for exemplary living from our adults and so forth. So this is the vision that um, I think God has given has kind of laid on my heart to cast with this message of the firstborn son. It's a platform, it's a foundation that supports all of us um, you know, in terms of how we we move from one place, this bit of a very individualistic culture, to that of a familiar, more familiar uh, uh, vision for all of our families, and and so in essence, we are talking about multi generational. That is the actual and and and, and, and direct uh, goal of this firstborn son concept and this discussion uh, that I try to bring to the table. Now. If I hear you correctly, what I hear you talking about in the simplest terms when you're talking about firstborn son, I hear two things. Being an actual leader, but also being a servant. Mm. Would that be, mm. would that be right? And by servant, um, getting rid of your own needs first in a sense of not focusing on oneself, but do like, uh, Christ followers, which you brought up earlier, uh, yeah. seek out other individuals, uh, fulfill the calling that God has on your God has on your life. Am I right? You you are absolutely right. And this whole role, and as you hear, if we get a chance to talk more about my life, you see that for the most part, uh, there are a lot of times that my life, uh, I remember telling my, even my wife, uh, by the time we were just dating, as she was my girlfriend when we met, and we were talking about the potential of being a, a married uh, a, a, a couple. And I remember many a times, Rich, telling her that, look, my life, literally, these, these exact words, my life is not my life right now. My life and my where I am in this part of my life is is so committed to fulfilling a, a, a mandate that I've been given by my family to support my at that time who was still in Liberia, West Africa, in the midst of a civil war, and even in Cameroon, uh, Central Africa. But if you remember Stu Weber's book, if I can give you a great analogy here, he talks about four phases of of man, authentic manhood: the king, 
the warrior, the lover, and the friend. An authentic manhood or authentic just people in general, but especially for men, have to be able to embrace all four of those phases. You know, that king phase that is ready to, to stand and, and take on, you know, it's a lonely place to be a leader out there. That warrior right. phase is prepared to make that decision, and, you know, and fight for a cause. Then you have the lover and the friend, for not only for my wife, but for my children and those that are depending on me. And, you know, and, and so you're right. It is a completely selfless position, all designed. Not for the, for, the, for the betterment of someone else, and eventually you reap the benefits because that's how the nature of God operates as well. I got to ask you a question, Zeke, now that you brought up those four phases, and you can <laughs> uh, uh, list those once again as we go through this, through my next question here. How do you think those four phases compare to the way America looks at manhood? You know, I think that was a time. Especially when we look at the lives of the the pilgrims and the initial writers of the constitution of this country, there was a time when America came. You know, there, there's this cycle of, of 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 democracy, is what they say. When we go from this place of we're hungry, we we're, we're oppressed or whatever, and then we find that zeal to fight for and gain our freedom. Uh, we live in that freedom, and then we eventually come to another place of complacency. You know, and so and so I think where we find America right now, and, and, and the cycle says you go from complacency and you go back to that place of oppression and being being uh, and then. You fight. So that's this cycle that goes around. And I think we're in that place in America right now where it's a place of complacency, especially. And that men and the culture in general is not willing to fight for morality and put their, you know, reputations, put what have you on the line to say we will fight for morality. And when the pilgrims, I think, came here and that hunger was there. Uh, so at one time, yes. America, whether it was 200 years ago, 150 years ago, America understood clearly, and even not too far in our time, and maybe about the 50s, the 60s, or whatever, there, there was some understanding of what it meant to fight for something. And we've come to a place right now where it comes to that king, warrior, that lover and friend, we've come to that place of complacency where we don't understand anymore at the deepest of core of our beings what it, especially in the sense of standing for absolute morality that is so crucial to the longevity of us as a generation and for the generation that comes after us, two or three after us. That is the importance of where we are right now. That is, I think that's the ball we are missing so greatly. Tell me a little bit more about ab what you mean by absolute morality and why that is so crucial to the question that we are examining this morning. Because there are a lot of people who may be listening to our show this morning that don't believe in moral absolutes, mm. that mm. believe that that is more subjective, or as I hear it every once in a while when I have conversations with people, you know, things aren't necessarily black and white. No, they're not. And uh, I think that the key for me, the key answer, to, uh, the core of that question comes down to this. Our culture animal wants everyone's opinion to be equal. And when we agreeing and allowing everyone's opinion to be equal, who's to say the murderer is wrong? Who's to say the rapist is wrong? Well, we know that from the, the evidence of what's left 
after the murderer has done what he's done or the rapist has done what he's done, that yes, there's got to be something wrong with this picture. But if we do not have any absolute morale, if we, if we, if we, uh, how was the word here? If we exclude, exclude, or if we uh, ostracize the concept of moral absolutes, then we run the risk now saying that, you know what, especially now with the word, for example, tolerance that has been hijacked. Tolerance means that we, you know, your opinion, my opinion are of the same value. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You know, so, if we do not have more absolutes, which is which hinges on one and only one personal thing, that being or being that being God Himself. Truth is by by standard God's view and more, or world's view. Then we run this risk right now of where we are. That you know what? It's okay that abortion is out there and killing a bunch of people. I mean, there's no real, uh, uh, there's nothing really bad about it. I just made a choice. No, it's not just making a choice. So those are things that uh, our culture, especially for our, our culture that says we value life, must be clear about what more absolutes mean and the damages that it causes uh, when we do not have more absolutes in place. And so um, I think at the core of it, it's coming down to say, you know what, we all can't have, all of our opinions cannot be equal. There, there is truth, there is wrong and right, there is truth and lie, and we must face that. What made you come to this uh, stance about there must be there must be moral absolutes? Tell me more about the the person behind this message of the firstborn son, if you want to, Zeke. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, you know, you can, you can run and say, well, I mean, in my case, uh, which is not the case, but a lot of, we may say, some people say, well, I've read this book, I've read that book. Um, I think for me, and there's no doubt, first of all, that, uh, my upbringing and how my parents, or where my parents raised, how and where they raised me, uh, has a big part to play in that. But I think at the same time, I have seen human nature as, it's best and at its worst, I think, in my lifetime. Um, having gone through a civil war back in Liberia, Af- West Africa, and watching friends and people that I knew who went from being people that I played ball with and things like that, and all of a sudden now we're bloodthirsty and wanting to kill people or the sacrifice of young babies and so forth, all of these real awful atrocities. And the fact that, you know what? Life meant nothing if I wanted a pair of shoes that you had. Things like when people result to this, this, this low, that lowest area of humanity. I don't think a lot of Americans, first of all, in this generation have seen the uh, essence of what that means. So, and, what I hear, uh, yeah, so, what I hear, so what I hear you saying there is they haven't really examined their own heart and what is the true condition of the human heart when the human heart is faced with ultimate choices? That I'll, use, I'll, I'll use the word potential. Yeah, the condition, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'll use the word, I mean, people sometimes say, well, you know what, that's my next door neighbor, or that's my friend. He's just, he just made a little simple mistake. And what I saw in my lifetime as a young man, as a young teenager, was that when law was no longer existent in the land, the potential of the human heart 
it's 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 oh my goodness it is a scary sight to see when a man can walk up to a pregnant woman and do some amazing things because he wants to get a live baby you know things like that i'm being graphic to some extent but people underestimate the potential for evil of the human heart and so when you ask how did i come to this place yes i've read it yes i've read my bible most importantly and i know what it says about the human heart and the evil that exists and that we're up against principalities you know and we're up against uh, uh evil spirits and these things but man i've seen when one man thinks that satan is, is his master and the things that he can do and mm. The last thing I want is to sit by the wayside and watch us continue to drift slowly but surely into the same kind of absent-mindedness and allow society to be overrun by evil. Now, in a couple minutes before our first break, I want to remind you of a very specific date, and I think it relates to where our conversation is going right now. December 22nd, 1989. What do you remember about that day? <laughs> December 22nd, 1989 was my, the actual day of my graduation from high school uh, in Liberia, West Africa. And what is so significant about that day, because that was a day of great promise of all of an athlete. I just graduated at the top of my class. That's all these wonderful things. And, uh, and so my view of life was, was just, you know, hey, as a young man, you're a little bit arrogant maybe, but you, but you, but you look and say, you know what, life is good. I'm, I'm gonna get this scholarship, even go to the United States of America and play ball, American college ball, basketball. And two days later, December 24th, uh, a civil war broke out and I lost all of those dreams in a snap of a finger. Uh, because the rug was literally pulled from under me. How did you go on, man? How did you decide to go on where some people might have given up? Well, it was, it was, I mean, praise God for the faith and praise God for parents who had set the stage and they, they had seen some difficulties in their time and they have prepared their children, uh, to understand that more absolute I spoke about a little bit that we, you know, cause in that whole, uh, break out the Civil War as well. There was a lot of attempts to forcefully conscript me to become a, a rebel soldier and tortures that I went through. So going on became a, a, a necessity, of, first of all, of life. Just to say, you know, we will, we will, adversities are not always there to destroy us. They are sometimes our greatest teachers. And so we have parents that knew what it meant to be walk through adversity and took their children and decided we're going to walk through for the next two years at least of that civil war where we had no ways of communicating, uh, getting out of that mess. We looked to our parents for leadership. And obviously for, for me, who, my dad had raised me to understand my role as a firstborn son to help and sustain, uh, with our family through that, through that whole, uh, those, those tough times. And, uh, we were all safe. We all came out in one piece, but uh, we lost everything that we own in terms of material possessions, and we had to start from scratch again. We'll hear more about the fascinating story of the firstborn son and my special guest, my good friend, Zeke Bambolo, on, the, on Motivation with a Purpose right after this timeout. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. 
I am Rick Sahlstrom, and this is Motivation with a Purpose, once again on TalkZone.com. And as we said before on the show today, I'm turning the tables on my very good friend and co-host, Zeke Bambolo, author of The Firstborn Son, a very, very important book that belongs on everyone's, and I do mean everyone's, bookshelf. And Zeke, let's dive into your story a little bit more But I'm going to bring up one word that I know that I've seen in the pages of the book and that you and I have had tremendous conversations about in many different settings, legacy. And when you hear that word and think about that concept and discuss that concept, what are we talking about there? Yeah, thank you, Rich. It, it, again, we, we, we talked a little bit earlier about being self, selfish and sacrificial, but see, what we do with when it comes to the firstborn son is instituting and reigniting the discussion of multi-generational family legacy in the lives and homes of, 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 of our, of our society again, from that individualistic view to more of a familiar concept. And here's the, the deal is that when we say legacy, these days, if you went on the online right now, Google, what have you, and did a, 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 a what type in the word legacy, the first thing, the first things that you might see is people talking about wealth, all right, um, which is not what we want to camp on when we talk about legacy in our context. You might also right. hear about maybe uh, a Michael Jordan and the legacy of Michael Jordan, and people look at the athlete. And that one component of his greatness on the basketball court and in that sport, and they say that is, that's a legacy. It, it is, but that is, again, that is a very individualistic view of that for that individual's personal benefit. It says nothing about Michael's family, you know, you know, those things like that. Very rarely does it ever talk about those items. It stays on the fact that he's a great, whether it's LeBron or Michael, he's a great basketball player. Um, a lot of times when people say legacy as well, they're thinking, well, you know, I'm in the latter third of life, I'm 60, 70, what have you. Uh, what, really, what have I done? What are people going to re- remember me for? And so we t- with, I, I kind of tend to think that we have these, these views of legacy, which are not absolutely wrong, but they're a little sh- uh, shaded or they are coming from a wrong concept. And you see, we never really start to think of legacy in the context of nurturing our souls and that of our dependents, you know, spouse, children, or people, that are, or even if we're just mentoring someone. Um, as a society, we never start to realize that legacy is the platform and foundation that transcends individual individuality, excuse me, and can purposely nurture many hurting souls. We have a soul here called motivation with the purpose. My goodness, how much does that Anchor legacy in the terms of saying, well, you know what? We want you to know exactly why and how you are motivated, you know, and be very purposeful about it. So, in essence, we're kind of, uh, yeah, the reason I think our, 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 we match a lot of times in our discussions and we talk in our ways of thinking is that we have different, you know, we're kind of uh, uh, meshing this topic here of legacy from a very healthy uh, position. So that is kind of how we start to talk about legacy. We want to make sure that we are, there are a lot of souls out there in our culture right now, whether it's from poverty, drug abuse, uh, domestic abuse, child abuse, uh, whether it's from, you know, uh, a lack of just being able to maintain a job consistently. There are so many reasons why people are hurting. And I feel with the, the discussion of this, uh, of legacy, that a lot of these people are hurting rich unnecessarily. 
have we done a good job? Have they, you know, whether parents or have, have we done, have we done a good job of really pouring to their souls purposefully why they're here from whence they come, where they are and where they're headed for the future and, and that mark that they want to leave. I think we can capture a lot of this pain, unnecessary pain and re, and re, repurpose, redirect these lives. But you know what? We don't talk about it in our homes. We rarely use the word legacy. In other words, to point out our dependence on ourselves in a purposeful direction for life that can well, overcome all these adversities that we're facing. Well, one of the other things that I think ties really well into your concept of legacy that you've so uh, very well described this morning is that I hear you saying that we are not capturing the heart of people and allowing them to examine what is in their heart. And what should, and what should be there. We have kind of accepted our lot in life. Mm -hmm. And we have, once again, falsely determined that legacy depends on, uh, material things. Right. Wealth and status. Right. Am I correct? Am I correct? You're, you're right. I mean, how many people sit there? Who are coaching, nurturing a teenager, and think of legacy when it comes to that teen? Because you know what a teenager is. I mean, for teenagers, is a matter of choices. How many people think that nurturing an impressionable soul to look beyond themselves will ever involve legacy? You know, people sit there and think, "Well, I mean, I'm trying to reinforce." In the life of maybe an adult child, especially in times of crisis that we just encounter uh, as grown-ups, you know. We have a problem with our identity and our life. How many people really sit back and think when it comes to that, that statement for that life of identity and vision can really come down to understanding what the legacy, what that, that person understands what their legacy is for life? You know, we, we, again, those are just some common examples of, of how we have distanced ourselves so greatly from the power and you know not just the power of grabbing that life but the core of what given that given that life direction really comes from is that you know what we have to look beyond our noses we have to look beyond ourselves as individuals we have to always think in that selfless and sacrificial role that what i do affects a whole lot of people out there but what you hear so more frequently when you when you try to engage those people who are maybe abusing themselves or hurting themselves is it's my life what do you care? It's my life. Why, I'm the one that's destroying my life. Why does it matter? What does it matter to you? You know, it does matter to me if I have embraced as a life core and purpose that my, it's not about me, myself, and I, but it's about, it's about those around me, and I must do my best to enhance my environment rather than destroy it. And so that way of thinking just, 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 just doesn't pop up. It's a nurturing process. Throughout many years, that brings people to that place in adulthood that gives them the purposeful living that we're asking them to live right now without the means to do so. We haven't nurtured those souls. So how can they grasp it? We think we're going to go to a convention for a weekend, sit them down for three, four hours, six hours, eight hours, and they're going to come out there prepared to just beat all odds. Unfortunately, no. Mm -hmm. We have to nurture those souls. Now, in terms of nurturing, I know that you're doing something very unique. And I want to relate it back to what you just talked about. I know that you have been a coach in the past of uh, various 
junior high and high school basketball teams, and you've been a head coach, I believe, at Juanita High School for several years in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had a chance to actually mentor your players and you know, really talk to them about some very, very serious issues like the ones that we have talked about this morning. But I know since you did the book and it's come out and it's come out and it's been out for about a year now, um, you have had a chance to speak at schools. When you talk about these concepts at school, in the midst of school, in the regular school day, not as a coach, or in not any special forum or whatever, what is the reaction of the kids to these subjects when you when you bring it to their attention? Thank you so much for that question. You, um, just uh, less about a month ago or so, I I spoke at a local high school. I just and I'm going to give it in this context because that was my first time speaking at that high school. I spoke to about four different classes. And as a matter of fact, I just got a, a text uh, middle last week from that same instructor in the school asking me to please put it on my, on my calendar to come back in March and speak to the, another core group of classes, uh, probably another four or five, however many classes for another per day. And, um, you know, yes, the response that I received from those young people um well, it's very, very humbling, very, um, yeah, it, 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 it uh, this one situation, for example, you know, because people say, oh, these young people don't, you know, they don't really get it, you know, they, it doesn't really, this doesn't really ring true for them. They're so, uh, uh, inundated with video games and everything, you know, these young people are hungry for direction. And this, I'll tell you, let's just describe this one setting as I got done with this class. This young man uh, kept just he stood in the back uh, and just waited. Was waiting for everybody to leave the classroom, and all of his peers, just the other students, left the classroom. Um, and then he came up. It was just him, myself, and the teacher in the classroom. And he asked the teacher to please leave the classroom as well. Okay. And uh, the teacher left, and uh, he wanted to have a complete confidential conversation with me about. Life. He had just heard this whole thing about uh, this whole legacy concept. He had also heard a, a discussion because uh, at the same time we had just had the Javon Belcher uh, shooting and some other incidents around that local high school. And uh, I wish I could tell you the, the essence of everything that we discussed, but my point is this young man was so moved and touched, not just him, but others, because the Q&A session during the, after the speech as well, the talk was, every class, the Q&A session was very fruitful. I could not believe my ears about these young people, the questions they were asking, and the dialogue we were having, which was so, again, very humbling to me. But the idea that this young man wanted to have that very private, confidential conversation, not only to tell me about what was going on in his life, that he was missing so much of the kind of thing we were talking about in legacy, and giving him that view of the future and what he wants to do more, but also look at me and say, please, please, for do that to your children. Never ever consider leaving your children. Never ever consider leaving your children without giving them something that can tie themselves to it. That, that legacy, that view you just preached, you just told, told us about today. Rich, it was just, it was a very moving situation for me and what was the, what was the most surprising question that you got that day besides this one-on-one interaction because you just mentioned about some of the questions the kids were asking yeah. that 
that I would assume have might even uh, surprise some of their teachers. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, she told me, the teacher told me that, you know, when I, you know, for the next several weeks, she did a tremendous job of building upon the, uh, the, 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 the talk that we gave in terms of multiple lessons that she just drew left and right from that thing, which is a, a praise in itself. But when you asked, you know, what was one of the questions, um, I remember the dialogue between, you know, I, I mean, there were several. I'm just going to throw this one out. I remember the dialogue about something about with a young lady. And uh, because when I give the talk, I give the talk from a concept of what I call uh, these young people. I, I use what I call that's a term called family branding. I'm talking about family legacy, but corporations use a term called family branding to make you and I extremely loyal to what they have to sell and what they do. And um, and so when I right. give the conversation to these young people, I give them examples. For example, if I say, you know what. Uh, I mean, for you and I, I mean, if I say the ultimate driving machine, well, 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 the ultimate driving driving machine mm-hmm. is probably BMW. But but they understand. You said Nike. I did throw at them. I did mm-hmm. throw just do it at them for Nike. Yes. So they understand. And I was throwing things like McDonald's and stuff. I was giving the slogans. And immediately as I say the slogans, they remember exactly what the company is. And so as I talk about talking to these young people about, you know, you got to make choices that right now start to define, if you want to be a great lawyer, if you want to be a great singer, you want to be a great athlete, you want to be a great doctor, you've got to start to make choices right now that are going to define what your legacy is going to look like later. You have to start right now with the end in mind. So if you want to be a great attorney, a great doctor, you can't be doing things in your life right now because you think I'm just a teenager that will hurt your chances of being the best you can be when that time does come around. So let's start about let's start to formulate and construct and define what your like what your brand, like a McDonald's or a Wendy's or a Subway and so they could draw exactly what that brand. What is your brand going to look like? And this lady, and this young lady was asking about, you know, I, I said, when you think about adversity in these situations, because sometimes when you when you engage that thought, a lot of times you're going to be ostracized by your friends. They're going to call you names. They're going to, you know, make fun of you and all these things. And so you're going to be facing a lot of adversity. So the question right. was, how have you really seen adversity? How does why do you define adversity? And she was struggling, you know. Her, her for her, adversity was a was a, was a, how do I establish my uniqueness? And I find a hard time being able to establish exactly what I want to call uniqueness. And we all, I mean, and so that for me took me back to well, someone in life, especially from a parenting standpoint, hasn't given her the views, the exemplary living, those things. That will help her define her uniqueness. And for her, I mean, it, obviously, if you're looking at the young people these days and the, you know, the music and the dress and everything else, it, it made it, it was really good core of her in terms of, you know what? I don't, if I want to be something great, I'm not really setting myself up right now with my own uniqueness, my own identity that defines what my brand is going to look like in the future. So it's, it's conversations like that that we're drawing out and they were asking questions to really start to define what their legacy, what their brand, for lack of a better corporate term, is going to look like in the future. Excellent, excellent. We'll be back with more about personal branding as we talk to my good friend Zeke Bambolo about the concept of the firstborn son once again on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out.
It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose on TalkZone. I'm Rich Hallstrom. Once again, my very special guest as I turn the tables is my co-host, Zeke Bambolo, author of The Firstborn Son, and when we left you, we were getting into the concept of personal branding on today's show as it relates to family legacy and the concept of The Firstborn Son. Zeke, I want you to continue on and tell us how do we develop our own personal brand by a, on a step-by-step basis Every day, how can we begin that process? And I know that leads into some unique seminars and materials that you yourself have developed. Tell us about it. I think, first of all, some of the things that we have to start to consider when we are talking about um, branding, and and, and uh, when I, I and I don't I don't I, I rarely start to really draw out the word uh, branding per se. Because what I, I mean, it, it, I only use that family branding term because we are up against a society that really is trying to, um, what's the word here? I think kind of, kind of define us a little bit. And we, we tend to have these problems in our midst when it comes to how do we, how do we guide and lead people and so forth? And how do we fix some of these problems that we're having in terms of uh, the family issues? But I think too many times we are so, we, we tend to miss the source, the foundation, the kind of the, the real cause of birthplace and right, right of, of the issues that we're dealing with. A lot of times we're dealing with symptoms, just which are just signs and indicators of what's really, what the real problem is. And we think we are addressing the problem. And, and so, when I talk about this as well, I, I try to really make sure that our perspective, um, in terms of what that vision is going to be, that we're being for, being having some foresight in what we're dealing with, and that we have the proper perspective of where we're headed. So we can't start to really define our own brand. What I would determine, I would rather use than brand, is determining our legacy without first having a clear and concise um, understanding of what we're up against, what we're dealing with, especially unless I'm coming from a place of um, I have a history of divorce, divorce in my family. And one of the things that I think needs to be incorporated in my legacy is to break the cycle of divorce. Uh, I've got to understand, again, a lot of these, the, the things that have been the core causes of those divorces and started to change my behavior so as to not incorporate those bad things that have been the, that have been the, the, the sources. And so... I talk about family legacy. I mean, especially we're pushing the, our, our our seminars. A lot of times, we are really trying to pull people into. Uh, let me just describe for you some of the phases. For example, we we start. We have a six phase seminar, and we try to discuss. For example. What is successful legacy? What does that look like? Not only what does successful legacy look like, family legacy look like, but what is the culture doing to impact 
our lives and our legacy, that we need to make sure we are prepared to fight off or to ward off not only ourselves from our children and our dependents and our wives and so forth, our spouses, all right? So that's like, for example, that's phase one. Phase two, we start to break down to understand okay, exactly what are my family's strengths and weaknesses, if you don't know those things, Rich, we got you know you got a problem. If you don't know exactly, okay, well, is is the weakness of my family that maybe maybe we haven't done a good job of, of setting you know that exemplary example of being exemplary in front of our in front of our children, so that they know exactly who they are, not because we've told them who they are, but because they see as parents, especially as adults, they see our behavior and can deeply identify with the core of who we are by our actions. All right. So we we, started, we have to understand our family strengths and weaknesses. Right. In phase three, right. for example, we go to how do you determine whether you're just losing focus? You know, how do you determine whether you're just losing focus or you're losing control of your family? Because that's, that's important. We've got an issue and you think that, well, I'm not sure if we've got a good handle on this. Is this something that is preliminary that you, that you, can, you can arrest right now? Or do you have a course that has been in, you pretty much lost control of an issue that is going to take you a while to restore? And, and as such, you must have the proper context of time is going to take you to restore losing focus or losing control. You know, then we'll go in phase four of this seminar, for example, where we start to break down the visions, mm-hmm. the solutions, the strategies, and structure that will define legacy. There has to be a hierarchy within the family. We all can't be equal. Husband and wife have a role, have roles to play, for example. Daughters and, you know, sons have roles, but grandma and grandpa and great, what have you. Sometimes we have multiple generations under one household, from great grands right on down to, to grand, to children. I mean, how do we, Understand what the hierarchies are within the family. And then as a leader, especially of a family, do you understand the context of being a coach of the whole family, especially if you're the breadwinner, a coach of the whole team, as well as the individual position coach of a wide receiver, you know, if you think about the football context, head coach, wide receivers coach, you know, running backs coach. I mean, there, there, there are these things of how do you, how do we interact in that, in that, in building that brand and that, in that legacy for, for, for our family? Phase five, takes us, for example, into building a preference, or are we building a preference that we're building a barrier? Are we pushing people away more than we embracing them when we start to force our thoughts and our ideas on them? And then this phase six is a battle for hearts, no longer just a formality. We've got to plan to win. So we have to put these, now that we've got some strategies, how do we make sure we're implementing them, implementing them correctly and being very communicative with our dependents, with our whole family and talking and, and, and bounce, getting ideas and bouncing our thoughts and getting their, their reactions as well. So, man, when you talk about putting together that brand, that legacy, you know what? We want to walk with these. We want to walk with people through these processes and really break down. And our, usually, our seminars about a day-long seminar, sometimes even a two-day seminar. That we'll take to break this down to really walk through each one of those things very categorically, very clearly, and give people a concise information on where we want, where they need to be going. I got to ask you now that you've brought out the processes and tell us a little bit more about the seminars and and the talks that you give. How have you seen? And I know this is very important to you. How have you seen uh, what you talk about and what you are communicating to others impact the relationship between you and your wife, Tina? Because I know that uh, she means a lot to you, and she is also one of the great inspirations to the Firstborn Son Project. Tell me a little bit about that. My wife has been... Um, oh boy, she's been a tremendous uh, pillar 
in my life. She's been a tremendous um, supporter. And uh, every time from the writing of the book and her support there and even trying to give her the book and say, hey, can you read what I'm writing? Just make sure you, you agree and you understand. More importantly, Rich, as I do this project and I put our family, a lot of you know the things that we have collaborated on, on on writing, for example, statements of identity and vision. We have collaborated on several things, and that have it has really moved us into a place of communicating uh, a little deeper. It has certainly grown our love a little deeper for each other and our appreciation, and it has given us a lot of awareness as well of things that we have to be very cautious as we interact with each other. And make sure that we are, you know, again, no, we're different. We're, we're, we're men and women. We're a man and woman. Not wrong, but we're different. And so we need to be very conscious of those things. And then, my, how do we make sure we unite our thoughts and our actions and everything that we do born accordingly into our children? So all of this has just raised our awareness even greater. And we happen to be involved with a lot of other lives from a marital standpoint in terms of marriage counseling and being uh, facilitating different classes and stuff like that. And honestly, this whole process has really pushed us to a good place of growth personally. And that uh, we feel we're at a place you know, in our lives right now, regardless of some of the adversities that we've dealt with in the past, in, uh, especially in early marriage. We're in a place right now where we're really, really enjoying each other. And uh, and this has certainly is certainly helping helping us grow a lot deeper in our relationship with each other. I got to ask you, Zeke, uh, and this question has been on my mind as we've since we've started the show, and as we've delved deeper into these very very important subjects. How has the book changed you? I know you want the book to change others, but how has it changed you? If you remember from us talking a little while back, my motivation initially was right for writing this book too. When it really hit me about the desire and the need for this book was when uh, my wife and I uh, had our our son, not our first child. We have two children, but he was it was our son, Garrison, and uh, I got really I mean, that whole time of really realizing the life that was coming to the world. And understanding my role and what is meant for my family in terms of my 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 parents and my siblings, for me, what is meant to be that firstborn son for my family, I really started to think about what it was going to be like to train my son in this era, uh, you know, as a parent in this era, uh, and make sure that we progress him and uh, my my children, both my children, I just want both my children to navigate their way. I don't want to be a guide for them. I can't be there all the rest of their lives. I've got to train them to be able to read a cultural compass and navigate their way. And so um, that is the motivation for this book. And because of that motivation, that is why it's been a tremendous impact on my life to be able to really uh, work more Aligning myself deeply as a parent, as a father, um, for being as a, for the, as a man and knowing that even better, I don't want my child someday to ask me, well, dad, when everything was going on in the culture, where were you? I, I want to be, to make sure I'm there to answer those questions for my children and say, you know what? Uh, daddy gave, did his best to be a part of preserving or enhancing the culture. And so, 
uh, yeah, this book continues to change me. I'm learning a lot about the whole marketing aspect and all these other things, but the, 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 the message itself and being able to research the culture a whole lot more. Even this morning, I spent a lot of time looking at cultural statistics as I did some research for some other projects. It's really given me a high sense of awareness for where as a culture and a desire to really want to do a good job of impacting, but do it with great integrity, great honesty, and great purpose. In our closing moments, Zeke, I want you to handle two things for me. Uh, tell me how you believe the message of the firstborn son and motivation with the purpose fit together, and let us know how we can get a hold of the firstborn son. As I said a little bit in the beginning of the show as well, I, I think that um, when you talk about uh, motivation with a purpose, it's certainly, first of all, uh, and I know in you and what you desire for this program and your audiences and our audiences, if I should say, there's been uh, a strong desire to, to, to champion and to be a flag bearer for that real selfless way, uh, method, of thinking that 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 action that forces us to again look beyond ourselves to say you know why are you motivated how are you motivated those questions and I think where that mirrors or that matches and uh, unites the motivation to purpose and the firstborn son is the fact that you know we are calling people to certainly live a purposeful life, but at the same time, to know exactly who they are in terms of what that legacy, what that personal brand is that will allow them to then fully direct their, themselves and their lives for the purpose that they wish to accomplish. And we pray that it's a purpose that enhances the culture in, as a whole in general. So uh, I think there's a lot of unification, a lot of unity between our causes and our causes and what we, what we choose to do. Uh, also, um, for people to get the book, obviously, there's the firstbornson.com. If you just want to get the book, you know, in Amazon, Barnes and Noble, there are places you can get the book always. And obviously, our website is the most, uh, use, uh, most, the easiest way to get it. But also, the website, you'll find some of our audio content for speeches that we give, even the high school speech I was talking about, you know, which was based on choices. They can find that there, as well as, uh, connect with us if they would like us to come and do our seminars, wherever they are. We do this for corporations. Do it for churches. I mean, corporations, especially so with, the, with the high turnover rates and uh, productivity questions, I'm so amazed with the numbers that uh, that corporations are not doing more to impact their employees. When the main reasons that people leave companies are personal reasons, family reasons, and not so much money. So we try to address all of those issues. And again, thefirstbornson.com is the greatest way to connect with us as quickly as possible. Zeke, I always say that this is one of my most inspirational times in my day and in my week. And we want to encourage you once again, as Zeke has talked about today, to examine your family legacy, examine what motivates you and how you're motivated and what you should be motivated by. Because those are all the messages of motivation with a purpose. And we invite you once again to join us next week for another exciting adventure on motivation with a purpose right here here on Talk Zone. Have a great weekend, everybody.